of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program this Friday, the 20th of January, well, we first look at the launch today, this Friday, of the first two series of the Wiradjuri Workbooks in a conversation with Auntie Di Riley McNabal, co-author of the series. As you'll hear in our conversation, the project was launched about three years ago, aiming to support children who are out of home, away from their country, to be able to still be connected to their culture and country, and also for the strong generations that didn't have the opportunity to learn about Wiranjuri language and culture and country. On NITV Radio, we also turn our attention to the ongoing effects of uh, floods in WA that have left many a community in a situation of flood refugees, stranded far from their homes, sometimes with little to no support. Today, NITV's Guy McLean spoke to our DFS official, exploring facts on the ground and efforts deployed to assist the communities. In the program, we'll also be joined by a Sydney City Councillor Waskam Emelda Davis, talking about Yumi Wansolwara, a Survival Day event that will bring together for the first time First Nations people, Melanesian communities and Australian South Sea Islanders to reflect on Survival Day and celebrate their resilience and kinship. Melda Davis reminds us that uh, for many years, Australian South Sea Islanders were governed by the same laws as Indigenous Australians under the Aborigines Protection Act. All these stories and many more coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. Bertrand Tungandami, I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directly outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. More charges laid over the fatal attack of indigenous teenager Cassius Tavi. U.S. actor Alec Baldwin to face charges over the shooting death, the shooting death of a cinematographer. And in sport, Andy Murray wins a marathon match against Tanasi Kokinakis at the Australian Open. Three people are to appear in court today over the alleged attack of indigenous teenager Cassius Tavi after the trio were charged yesterday. A 21-year-old man is already facing a murder charge over the 15-year-old's death last year and he remains in custody. It's alleged three other people were in company during the alleged assault of the teen who died 10 days after suffering head injuries. The three other accused are two men aged in their 20s and a 20-year-old woman 
They are all appearing at uh, Perth Magistrates Court uh, today. Activists have launched an attack on one of Australia's most famous paintings to protest a gas company's alleged destruction of rock art in Western Australia's north. Video released by Disrupt Borough Pub shows ceramist artist, ceramic artist Joanna Padica spray painting a Woodside logo onto Frederick McCubbin's Down on His Luck at the Art Gallery of Western Australia. She then appears to glue her hand to the wall beside the colonial masterpiece as Baladong Nunga man Desmond Blatton lays an Aboriginal flag on the floor of the gallery. Mr. Blatton says the group wants industrial development stopped on the rock outreach Barra Peninsula, 20 kilometers west of Karatha in the Pilbara region. This painting is barely 100 years old. We have 50,000 year old artwork that Woodside is destroyed. A Productivity Commission report shows that increased funding has had little effect on the literacy and numeracy results of Australian students. The review of the National School Reform Agreement shows 90,000 students failed to meet minimum NEPLAN requirements annually. First Nations students are also three times more likely to fall behind at schools along with children who have parents with lower levels of education. The national media watchdog will gain stronger powers to crack down on the spread of disinformation and misinformation online. The Australian Communications and Media Authority will create an enforceable industry code to replace the voluntary code. Federal Communications Minister Michelle Rowland has told ABC tech giants such as Twitter need more than a voluntary code to maintain user safety. The ACMA will have the ability to devise uh, new standards and to enforce those and to have penalties as well. So this is certainly not a novel framework. It is a co-regulatory structure that is well established in Australia and has served consumers well. Australia is being warned not to interfere in Beijing's judicial system after concerns were raised here over delays in the sentencing of two Australians detained in China. Australian writer Yang Hunjuing and TV journalist Chong Lei will now have to wait at least three months for a verdict. Chong Lei was arrested in China in August of 2020, charged with providing state secrets to foreigners. While Yang Huangjun was accused of espionage and detained under secretive conditions since he was arrested at an airport in China four years ago. Mr. Yang's sentencing has now been delayed seven times since he was taken into custody in January of 2019. Foreign Minister Penny Wong told Sky News the Australian government will continue to advocate for their safe return. Uh, we are dis, you know, deeply troubled uh, that there's been a, a further deferral of Dr Young's verdict and sentencing. Uh, we'll continue to advocate for them and we'll continue to press for uh, consular access uh, and we will continue to press for uh, you know, procedural fairness uh, and rights to be observed. China's Foreign Ministry has spoken out about its plans for a strategic partnership with New Zealand after Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern resigned this week. On Thursday, the leader revealed she would be stepping down in February and not seek re-election after five and a half years as Prime Minister of New Zealand. China's Wang Wenbin did not comment directly on Ms Ardern's planned departure but did discuss cooperation with New Zealand in the future. 
We have stated China's position on relevant individual cases on many occasions. We would like to stress once again that China is a country ruled by law. The Chinese judiciary handles cases in strict accordance with the law, fully guarantees the legal rights of the relevant parties, and fully respects and guarantees Australia's consular rights such as visitation. China urges Australia to earnestly respect China's judicial sovereignty, refrain from interfering in any form in the handling of cases by Chinese judicial organs in accordance with the law and take concrete actions to create conditions and an atmosphere for the improvement of bilateral relations. A standoff between Washington and Berlin is complicating Western efforts to send Ukraine valuable Leopard tanks. The United States and German defense ministers have met in Berlin ahead of crucial talks among Western allies on supplying more weapons to Ukraine. Germany is reluctant to provide offensive weapons that could be seen by Russia as an escalation. A German government source says that reluctance could ease if the United States sends its own Abrams tank. But U.S. officials, including White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, say the Abrams is technically inappropriate for Ukraine. It's not for us to speak to. It is their, each country's decision to make, that, uh, to make their own sovereign decisions on this. Uh, as it relates to the U.S., we have been, as you know, uh, the largest provider of security assistance, of uh, humanitarian aid. Uh, we, will, uh, we will be standing by with the Ukrainian people and, uh, and helping them in any way that, they, that we can to defend themselves uh, until, you know, until uh, uh, throughout, throughout this process. Russia has launched a criminal case against a U.S. citizen over suspicion of espionage, but he has not yet revealed if the suspect is under arrest. The Federal Security Service is accusing the unknown person of collecting intelligence on topics directed against the Russian Federation. U.S. State Department Deputy Spokesperson Vedant Patel says the highest priority is the safety of its citizens overseas. The Russian Federation does not abide by its obligations to provide timely notification of the detention of U.S. citizens in Russia. Uh, Russian authorities also don't regularly inform the embassy of the trials, sentencing, uh, or movement of U.S. citizens. We're looking into this matter and will continue to monitor. U.S. actor Alec Baldwin is facing involuntary manslaughter charges over the fatal shooting of Helena Hutchins in 2021 on a film set in New Mexico. The film's Amara will also be charged with the same offense over the death of the cinematographer during the film of the filming of the movie Rust. Hutchins' family is welcoming this development, but Baldwin's lawyer says the decision distorts her death and is a miscarriage of justice. More than one million people have participated in demonstrations across France against the government's plans to raise the retirement age. In Paris, police briefly clashed with some protesters who were campaigning against the pension changes to raise the retiring age to 64 years. 61-year-old kindergarten worker Sylvie Lebar, who is one year off the current retirement age of 62 years, disagrees with the proposal. I want them to withdraw the new retirement age. It's not acceptable at all. Two additional years, that's really not possible. I work in a kindergarten and the working conditions are worse and worse and two more years, that's not possible. Physically, no. 
The Australian Medical Association is renewing calls for attacks on sugary drinks because it says the nation is at odds with other countries in its approach. AMA Vice President Danielle McMullen says the federal government could apply a tax of 40 cents for every 100 grams of sugar that are added to beverages. The association estimates that the measure would result in fewer cases of type 2 diabetes, less stroke cases as well as a reduction in heart disease. Dr. McMullen says it would also generate annual revenues of up to $814 million to contribute to preventative health initiatives. And to sport in tennis, Andy Murray has questioned the late-night scheduling of matches at the Australian Open after winning against Tanasi Kokinakis earlier this morning. The former world number one defeated the 26-year-old Australian in five sets, heading off court after five hours and 45 minutes of play at Melbourne Park. Murray says he respects the event and the competition, so he wanted to continue playing, but he's unsure how helpful the timing is for all involved in the tournament. I don't know who it's beneficial for. It's like a match like that. You know, yeah, we come here after the match and that's what the discussion is. And rather than it being like epic Murray Kokonakis match, it's like, you know, it ends in a bit of a, you know, a bit of a farce. Meantime, Alex Damino has progressed to the third round of the Australian Open along with fellow Australian Alexei Popirin. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome a mostly cloudy day, 30 degrees, Perth sunny 36, Adelaide mostly sunny 26, Melbourne mostly sunny 23, Hobart partly cloudy 20, Albury Wodonga mostly sunny 27, Canberra much the same 22, Wollongong partly cloudy 21, Sydney similar conditions 24, Newcastle partly cloudy 25, Brisbane a shower or 226, Townville sunny 31, Cairns, partly cloudy, 32. Alice Springs, sunny day, 35. Darwin, showers and a possible storm on the top of 32. And the Torres Strait Islands, a mostly cloudy day on the top of 28 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. I am Bertrand Tungendame and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from NAM on Kulin Nation. Coming up next, making and launch of the new tools to learn Wiradjuri language, connect with culture and country. You're with NITV Radio. The Wiradjuri Workbook, co-written by Associate Professor Auntie Lynette Riley and Auntie Diane Riley Magnabo, will be launched this Friday, January the 20th. And uh, I'm joined by uh, Auntie Diane Riley Magnabo to discuss this momentous occasion. Welcome to NITV Radio, Auntie Diane. Oh, welcome to you as well. It's well, lovely to be here and thank you for acknowledging our book. It's an excellent tool. Tell us about uh, yeah. your participation in this uh, very, yeah. very powerful it's, um, tool. It's been three years of, of work. We started before the COVID outbreak. Yeah. Um, the main reason that we wanted to do it was to try to help and support children that were out of home or off their country yeah. to be able to still be connected to their country. And for um, the stolen generation... 
that didn't have the opportunity to learn about um, Rajri culture and our symbol art and how you can use that to create cloaks and do art with them. My main focus has been on the language around the cloaks and different categories. So there's quite a lot of information in there for people to work from, and it's a good start for people. It's a good start to learn language, but not just language, as you said. Uh, You work on uh, cultural uh, aspects, very powerful cultural aspects, coming from two educators and culture specialists, actually. Yeah, and it's really good um, that we got... It was just seemed to be the right time and that we got supported to do this and help with that healing process across country. We've had a lot with the written language in the last um, 30 years, um, building up stuff around that. We still need to build up a lot more, but we didn't have much around activity sheets for the people to have a go at Radri language, and we didn't have anything significant on our symbols. So we do have a lot of symbol language in there as well. Well, Symbol language, how do you build that in a book? Well, we did a lot of activities. Um, Lynette talking through the symbols and that that she used on her Wiradjuri cloaks. Yeah. um, Because the cloaks are our storybooks. We pass on knowledge, we pass on stories, and it also passes on law and how you should live on country as well. Indigenous languages were predominantly oral, traditionally uh, culture and knowledge was passed on orally and now you're putting it into writing as well and also presenting it online. Yeah, and um, down the track we're hoping that maybe we may be able to record me so that that could go with the books down the track. But at the moment, we've worked very hard to get the seven books done. So people be able to work on those in their own homes. They're in categories, so this has got some stuff around numbers, colours, seasons, connection to country, yeah, all sorts. Yeah, yeah, and it comes in at a a very important time. Yeah, yeah. and there's little bits of cultural knowledge as you go through the books as well that was passed on and it's only starting people out with an introduction to Radri language and our symbol art but it's actually a very good start for people who don't know anything about their language or culture now are the books available in schools as well they're not at the moment at the opening there will be some books that that will be distributed and then we've got to find a printing place to print some more. Yeah, because uh, these are valuable yeah. tools that uh, actually have to be uh, uh, spread as widely as uh, can possibly be done. Now, yeah, yeah. Uh, the languages, the, the Wiradjuri language, you're a specialist in Gomeroy and the Wiradjuri language yourself, not just um, in... Mainly in Wiradjuri. I, I have learnt Gomeroy as well but I've got to hone a bit more of my skill around my mother's language. So Wiradjuri is my father's language, and I'm seen as an expert on our language. I don't see myself as an expert, but other people see me as an expert in Wiradjuri language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I use uh, some of uh, the words in um, your Gamalore language. I've been gifted a few words. I usually start my programs by greeting, saying Yama, 
at the end so yeah. I've learned those three words uh, are they the same in uh, Wiradjuri or um, Yama we do have Yama yeah. uh, Yama um, usually comes with a pronoun and lets you know that question's been fired at you but yeah. Yama is a greeting like hello yeah. um, and uh, welcome is Gawainbana means to welcome you now yeah, yeah, yeah. so we have that sign in Dubbo as you come in and out of Dubbo we have and across country you may see that sign yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a, a very, very powerful tool. Yeah. I can't wait to get my hand on uh, the next uh, five uh, other s- books of the series. The first two are already available online. Se- seven in total. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Auntie Diane, before I let you go, as a tradition, I always open the mic to our guests for a closing word or something we may have missed you'd like to bring to the attention of our listeners. I'd just like to say if people can get their hands on these books, it'll be a great help for them in learning Wiradjuri language and culture. And um, I think they're Murrumbung books. So Murrumbung is really good, like deadly. In English, we'd say deadly, but we say Murrumbung in Wiradjuri. Murrumbung is is, uh, Wiradjuri for deadly. Yeah. I'll uh, note that down, uh, adding to my knowledge of the language. Auntie Diane, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us You're welcome. You're welcome, and I appreciate um, you ringing me to find out a bit of information about our books. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Great teachers are always looking for ways to inspire their students. SBS Learn has curriculum-aligned online resources for teachers. Go to sbs.com.au slash learn. Ban nga kalimu, kurong moyenda. Intapa kurong moyen numbai marumba. Mina naja yalwa, inta naring najiba. Naja yalwa inta kudna kamarin, nga milbong. Naja yalwa inta wadli marinya, dungama malara mara. Bakalinya nga balunya, nga marinya wadli korumba. Pakali Jim Jim, nga balunya naring ngajaba. Ngaja yalwa malara nabukayabanta nga marumba. Wanji milbu milbu, guri nga dakai nadu. Nga malara nyinadu, ngapang ngapang ngadu. Tunga naja yalwa inta naring ngajaba. And that was uh, Son of Mine by Kalina Edwards. Uh, just for your information, Kalina Edwards is the granddaughter of uh, Ujiru Nonakal. Uh, 
celebrated the Aboriginal Australian political activist, artist and educator who campaigned for Aboriginal rights. Uh, Nunaka was best known for her poetry and was also the first Aboriginal Australian to publish a book of verse. And now we continue our coverage of the aftermath of devastating floods in WA that have left many a community living as flood refugees. NITV's Guy McLean spoke to Glen Hall, District Officer, Central Kimberley, at the Department of Fire and Emergency Services in WA, looking at the situation in Fitzroy Crossing. Together, they explored the latest developments in the area, facts on the ground, and how the recovery process and assistance is going. We've got crews on site at the moment, as we have been right since the beginning of this incident. Uh, we've got a, a, an operations team in Fitzroy Crossing coordinating those movements and daily we've got aircraft flights in and out of Broome uh, and we're putting people in so we can look at those affected properties and conduct the, those clean-up activities as required and we'll, we'll continue to work through that in the coming days and weeks. What's the situation with power and water in Fitzroy Crossing and I guess also out in, out in outlying communities and outstations? Yeah, um, it's my understanding that there's no current issues in regards to that. All the lifeline services have been checked and are in the process of being checked in those outlying communities. The challenge for us now is the provision of fuel to maintain electricity and we've got in place a system working through barges uh, and aircraft moving those supplies in. Um, at the moment, uh, our aircraft movements, we're moving the equivalent material of 75% is what, what is moved out of a Perth Airport on a daily basis. So considerable aircraft and barge movements. Uh, yesterday alone, we're in excess of 80 pallets uh, went into Fitzroy Crossing. Uh, and we're conveying that on a continual daily basis through the use of barges and also aircraft. Is there any water contamination issues out, out in the community or, or, or in, in the town or, or communities? We won't allow people back on community until we've conducted those tests. So if people are moving, transitioning back to community and I'm, I'm looking at uh, moving back the people that were evacuated at Anukumbar in the next day or two so that we can get them back on country, all those checks will be done prior to those people moving back. Um, are there issues out there that they're still being checked? but we'll make sure that it's safe prior to people going back to country. Do you have a figure on how many homes have been destroyed and, and remain uninhabitable? Look, this is the biggest flood that we've had in a, in a hundred odd years. Um, it's certainly widespread and we're, we're conducting those activities now and that's a continual evolving process. Uh, as soon as we've got a definitive figure, we'll advise the community accordingly. Yep. Um, okay. Um, there's been some issues with people crossing the, um, the bridge at Fitzroy to, uh, to access the other side. I understand there's been some, um, some things put in place to prevent that now. Yeah, safety for the community and safety for our responders is paramount. So as a result, main roads have put up some fencing at the bridge um, to prevent those movements onto the bridge just so people are safe until we can get something more permanent in place. But that was only put in there yesterday. And I've seen those photos. It's quite considerable. So just remind people, don't go around. Um, you've got to look after yourselves. Um, it's, it's obviously not safe to be, to be walking on that bridge. Absolutely not. Look, it's, it's been assessed and, and that, that will be uh, certainly a lot of works in motion there with main roads. Uh, but at the moment, definitely not safe and that's why the fencing's been put in place. Um, and finally, there is a, uh, a crop, bit, bit of work being done or done yesterday to, um, to allow for a boat to be put in, an SES boat. 
I understand that at the moment that's just the critical, I guess, operational needs, not for the community to be able to go back and forth, but there could be longer, longer plan terms in place? Yeah, that's correct. What we've got in place is for our responders currently, uh, just cause, so that'll save the use of aircraft. Uh, but we are looking at plans for the, a continual service so that we can try and get the community back to some sense of normalcy. And uh, all I can uh, recommend is to keep in touch with local radio and NITV to make sure that they kept up to date with the latest information so that once we've got something in place, they're advised. Any idea what that might look like? Obviously, just a bigger boat. At the, yeah, at the moment, we're looking at, at a number of options. Uh, but again, all I can do is let people... Um, if we can keep up to date through those means and as soon as something becomes available we'll let people know. And that was uh, Glen Hall District Officer Central Kimberley at the Department of Fire and Emergency Services in Western Australia speaking to NITV's uh, Guy McLean. You're with NITV Radio. I'm joined by City of Sydney Councillor Waskam Amelda Davis, joining us ahead of a January 26 event, Yumi Wansolwara. Welcome to NITV Radio, Councillor Davis. Hi, how are you going? Yeah, now we're catching up ahead of Yumi Wansolwara. The event has been around actually for many years, shining a different light on uh, this day, January 26. A day that uh, is charged with uh, lots of emotions, but uh, once Olwara shines a different light to every other event in uh, Sydney and around the country. Yes, Bertrand, I'd like to also acknowledge that I'm on Gadigal Country here in Sydney, Piermont, and uh, Pirima Park, where the Yumi Wansalwara will be held on the 26th of January, is a significant location for Aboriginal Australia uh, in particular and Australian South Sea Islanders in that it's right on the harbour and it is the receiving port for our peoples as a collective, in particular Australian South Sea Islanders being the descendants of a blackbird trade, which is a slave trade, a Pacific slave trade. The Sugar Wharf at Pirima Park was CSR refinery and as we know, Pacific Islanders or the Melanesian men that were brought here to establish the economy were brought here to cut sugar. That sugar cane was refined right here at Perima Park. Um, it was shipped in and refined here at the um, CSR Sugar Refinery, as it was historically known. But now it's a you know residential area and a, a very popular location by the harbour with beautiful water views, and uh, we're looking at, I guess, truth-telling on the 26th as opposed to celebrating Australia Day. You know, the motto for Australia Day is, you know, we're all part of the story, so this programming is quite significant in that we are bringing together First Nations and Melanesian communities for the first time in a festival event like this. It's exciting, and... um, it's representative of those that were affected, First Nations and, and Pacific peoples, by the um, atrocities of colonialism that established this economy, yeah. And for those of our listeners who may not know the area, well, uh, Piemont has been redeveloped into a residential suburb, also with uh, some uh, boutique and uh, high-end uh, businesses. But the old sugar refinery building has been kept 
not as a refinery anymore, but as a cultural or heritage listed site. Uh, the building is still there and uh, is being used for other purposes. So yeah, historical exactly. sites. And uh, the South Sea Islanders see January 26 as a day different from uh, other multicultural communities because January 26, beginning of colonization, and during colonization, South Sea Islanders uh, were governed with the same laws as Aboriginal people. Yes, that's right. And we see this as survival day. We see this as a day of invasion and a day to reflect and remember what's occurred as a part of this country in establishing the economy, as I said, through the slavery of First Nations and Pacific Island peoples. I can, you know, walk down the street tomorrow and there's always someone new to talk to about this history and they're just flabbergasted at the fact that Australia had this significant slave trade which affected 1.5 million Indigenous and Pacific Island people, um, Asia-Pacific people as well. And if it wasn't for actually your action and what you do, in the Australian narrative, especially for newly arrived migrants, nobody would know that this kind of thing happened in this country. It's not yeah, it's interesting, history. isn't it? It's, it's a, you know, the Australian South Sea Islander movement is a movement that's been, um, you know, functioning or advocating uh, for social justice for the last 175 years. And... Uh, our communities are thriving in, in just keeping this history and story and truth alive. Bringing it to the broader public is, is the challenge, right? Yeah. And uh, let's not forget that blackbirding trade is derived through Atlantic slavery. So when that finished in 1863, 65, with Britain and America, they set their sights on the Pacific. So we're here to the, remind them that you know, this country is built on slavery. Those people, Macquarie, Benjamin Boyd, Robert Towns, Townsville, John Mackay, Mackay, Gladstone, they're all slave traders. Their wealth was made off Atlantic slave money and they invested in, in this country. And this is a narrative that's uh, whitewashed. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And the first man to plant sugar cane yeah, in Australia was a Caribbean man. From the Atlantic slave trade into the Pacific, and uh, yet, with uh, just a play of words, blackbirding, you wouldn't know yeah. what it is, and uh, yeah, just a play of words to uh, obfuscate the truth. Well, yeah, blackbirding is derived from Atlantic slavery. That word was used, you know, when they would go out and literally trick, coerce, kidnap yeah. our people. Yeah, blackbirding. And what's the meaning of uh, Yumi Wansolwara for those who may not know the origin of uh, these uh, words? It's a Bishlama word. It's a word that's derived from um, the slave trade itself. And it was the, the, the Bishlama, or pigeon, talk pigeon, was formed in Bundaberg as a result of bringing in all the different clans. So it's a combination of French... English, Dutch, obviously, and then all those clans lingo on top of it. So it's like some people say Creole, broken English, um, which is not a, you know acceptable term. But either way, um, Bishlama is a common language across the Pacific, and now it's spoken as a part of a, uh, the official curriculum 
for Vanuatu. So Yumi Wansawara is you and me, Yumi, Wansawara, one salt water. Yeah, because the salt water doesn't discriminate. Yeah, and that's what connects us. So you and me are Wansawara. And how will uh, January 26 be marked uh, through Yumi Wansawara? It's a, it's a big program. It's going to be, you know, back-to-back sharing of truth and formidable Aboriginal leaders coming together, as well as our Papua New Guinea, Solomon Island, and Vanuatu, Fiji, and um, Australian South Islander, Torres Strait Islander peoples, which is going to be a deadly day. I hope that a lot of people can join us. It's, it's going to be an emotional time, as always, but we've got... Pastor Ray Minicon, the Vanuatu High Commissioner, also the Vanuatu representation are the seasonal workers that actually are still coming here, being flown in to hold up our economy through fruit picking or the ag- agriculture and industries that exist today. So, you know, we'll be talking a lot about a lot of diversity, I guess, and Auntie Margaret Campbell, who's a formidable cultural leader and educator, saltwater woman. Um, she's uh, with Dreamtime Southern Cross, and she heads up a formidable um, insight to country what and whose country you're on and what it actually means. And she'll be giving a very powerful talk about her feelings on the 26th of January, as I'm sure Uncle Mark Merriman, who's a local Aboriginal elder, he'll be doing our smoking ceremony and acknowledgement of country. And then there's the deadly Dunuch. Aboriginal dancers will be doing custom dance. And then we have the Cedar Bullers, who are from the Torres Strait, but they're also descendants of Australia's blackbird trade. So they are Torres Strait Islanders, but also Lithu and Tana Island descent. And Uncle Tat Wildboat uh, will be here with his family performing. It's showcasing, I guess, the interconnectivity or the indigeneity of our community, yeah, as it is, as a First Nations community, and, and how complex our history and, and relationships and bloodlines in representing and being proud of identifying with all of our bloodlines as opposed to just one particular representation. So new form of education. But we've got about over 200 people registered to attend, which is great. That's and massive. Yeah, and anyone who knows Pyramid Park, it's it's a beautiful park that the City of Sydney, Lord Mayor Clovermore, actually saved in, in purchasing for $13 million to prevent high-rise and to make it available for our communities. So we're making good use of it, and we're working in with local businesses, the Zebra Lounge, who've been a great supporter of all our events and also Elements, which is a steakhouse, bar and grill, right on the water. So if you don't want to sit in the park, if it's a hot day, but we will have marquees and free water and, and free food to give to the patrons, but you can also attend these wonderful restaurants and watch the event from the restaurant because yeah. they've got outdoor dining now. So it's a very special place. It's a prime location, a family-friendly park with a lot of amenities actually on the site. Absolutely, and it, there's a playground for children and swings, and then there's another outdoor cafe, but it's all situated very in a cul-de-sac kind of 
setting and and if you follow Harris Street from Central Station all the way down to the end of Harris Street you'll see us yeah right there on the water so it's going to, and it's you know plenty of trees it's beautiful very fortunate um Sydney city and and the great work they've done with um greening our city uh the council and and councillors and lord mayor especially as a visionary clovermore yeah i'm i'm quite excited for the 26th next week and there's a lot of special guests showing up to participate and a lot of new new patrons like i've noticed there's some very different names that are starting to come and engage with our communities so that's that's wonderful and that's you know that's the objective isn't it yeah, you know yeah, bringing people together and reflect on a, a day that uh, really sparks a lot of emotions uh, around the country that's right we're supported by the australia day council for this event and and you know as i said the tagline is you know reflect respect and celebrate and uh, also i comply which is a seasonal work ag- agriculture um organization from Brisbane, they're supporting us in bringing in our Vanuatu workers, which will be fantastic. They're going to play string band, traditional custom music. I'm just really excited for that um, in sharing that with the rest of Sydney and also, um, of course, Australian South Carolina's Port Jackson and our board and, uh, you know, all the hard work that they do. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it. So this will be the first mini Melanesian fest Headed up by uh, First Nations, more. Yeah, no, sounds like uh, it's going to be a very, very big event, bigger than uh, the ones we've covered previously. So, a great success and uh, slowly yeah. building. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Councillor Davis, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today, and uh, wishing you very successful once all were on January twenty-six. Thank you so much. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. Now a week after Capitol Hill's thyroids in Brazil, there are calls for a crackdown on Australian politicians spreading election conspiracies. The push comes with a warning. It could happen here. Hannah Kwon reports. January the 6th. 2021 is a date etched into the American psyche, a date that democracy came under attack. And last week, there were similar scenes in Brazil. Australia has never witnessed anything like that type of post-election violence, but politics here can turn ugly. With anti-lockdown protests in Melbourne marred by threats to public figures, independent MP Zali Steggall says Australia isn't necessarily immune either. I think it would be wrong to think that events occurring like in the US, like in Brazil, cannot happen in Australia. And we have an opportunity now to ensure against ensure and protect Australians against misinformation and disinformation by legislating now before Australians go to such an important question of what kind of Australia do we want to be moving forward. 
Ms Stegall, the member for Warringah, wants her Truth in Political Advertising Bill to be legislated this year to cover politicians falsely claiming election fraud. Any materially misleading statement of fact could see candidates or parties cop fines and be forced to retract. That means a candidate could not claim a certain number of election ballots had been stolen without evidence, but could criticise our election processes. It's important to understand the scope of the bill. It captures statements of fact that are materially misleading. It doesn't restrict opinion. So I think that's really important because from a freedom of speech, you have the opportunity to express your opinion, but you can't uh, publish publish statements of fact that are material misleading. And so if you were to, for example, taking that 6th of January insurrection in the US around the election outcome, you couldn't claim that a specific number of votes were not counted or a particular material fact. The Australian Electoral Commission says there was a notable increase in voter fraud conspiracies before the federal election. Green Senator Maureen Faruqi is joining calls for action. Democracy just cannot work when false narratives are promoted during and after the election with no consequences. Labor is open to truth in political advertising laws and concedes the system can be strengthened. But it's yet to reveal whether that would include cracking down on candidates spreading election conspiracies. SBS has also sought comment from the coalition. Ebony Bennett is the Australia Institute's Deputy Director. Currently in Australia, it's perfectly legal to lie in a political ad, and it just shouldn't be. Uh, We already have existing legislation that prevents companies from engaging in misleading and deceptive conduct, and there's no reason to expect anything less from our elected representatives, political parties and candidates. Without the coalition's support, the private member's bill would need backing from Labor, the Greens and one other crossbencher, probably independent ACT Senator David Pogok or independent Tasmanian Senator Jackie Lambie. And uh, the report uh, was produced uh, by Hannah Kwon for SBS News. And uh, this uh, brings us to the end of uh, today's program. Bertrand Tungendami, I am Bertrand Tungendami, as always. Thank you very much again for your company this Friday afternoon. And ITV Radio will be back on Monday with more stories from right around the country. We also wish you a very safe and a beautiful weekend. Till next time, bye for now.